Well, as we approach the cross, we remember this day the events that are associated with Holy Thursday, often called Maundy Thursday. The word Maundy comes from a word that means commandment. Thus, it refers to the new commandment that Christ gave His disciples after instituting two significant teachings of the Christian faith. His new commandment was based on love, something that this world today could do well to observe on a daily basis. John 13.33 Little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews where I am going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, verse 34, A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. These simple yet profound words of Jesus are on the forefront of His mind right before He begins His own personal tribulation. In a way, this was Jesus' pep talk, His motivation speech to equip His followers with the most important thing that they would need to stay close to Him through it all. Now, although other disciplines are important, He didn't focus on these. He knew that love in its pure form and love in action and on display would be the foundation needed for everything built upon our faith in Him. By loving others as Christ has loved us, we remain pliable in God's hand so He can mold us as He sees fit. He can direct us as He sees the need. He can use us for the advancement of His kingdom, which is the only answer for what we now face as a world of people looking for hope and deliverance. But it all begins with us loving others in the same way that Jesus demonstrated His love for His disciples. What exactly did He do? Well, it is, the, it is the answer and understanding of this very question that will determine our ability and our likelihood of following His new commandment to love others. If we see Jesus' response as merely instituting two sacraments or two rituals or traditions, we miss the whole basis for His intentional actions. We must see the love behind these practices in order to receive all that He desires to give us going forward. Therefore, let's take a moment right now and return to that night almost 2,000 years ago when Jesus set the stage for this new commandment. John 13, verse 1. Now before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that His hour had come, that He should depart from this world to the Father, having loved His own who were in the world, He loved them to the end. Notice how chapter 13 begins by saying that Jesus knew His appointed time was coming. That He would soon be departing from this world and going to the Father. But stating that He loved His own to the very end. Love is the basis for all that God does and all that He desires to do. Sometimes when we don't understand all the aspects of love, we get confused with what God is doing. 
This usually happens when we spend more time in the world and trying to figure out things with our own logic. Yet God's love is on a completely different level. No wonder He says that His ways are way above ours. One of the biggest ways that is different is how we each define love as compared to how God delivered and taught about love and the way He still does today. John 13, verses 3 and 4. Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into His hands and that He had come from God and was going to God, rose from supper and laid aside His garments, took a towel and girded Himself. See, Jesus then began to do something new but of great importance. He began to wash the disciples' feet. When He came to Peter, at first Peter's pride prevented him from allowing Jesus to serve Him. How could the Lord wash Peter's feet? Shouldn't it be the other way around? John 13, verse 7. Jesus answered and said to him, What I am doing you do not understand now, but you will know after this. You see, Jesus understood at the very beginning that people would misunderstand and wrongfully judge His actions without realizing the basis for what He was doing. It was not so much about washing their feet. They were already clean. However, Jesus made a distinction that one of them was not clean. That one would be Judas, who had already betrayed Jesus in his heart. You see, the foot washing demonstrated a few different things. First, Jesus taught that we must cleanse ourselves first so that we can both receive and give love without tainting it with our wounds or our previous experience or our judgment or our misunderstanding. Second, in order for each of us to love others the way that God loves us, we need to empty ourselves of our pride and our need for control. These two things will always get in the way from giving and receiving love fully as it is intended. Pride prevented Peter from letting someone above him Jesus, being able to serve Him. If we are not humbled, we will not receive even God's own attempts to serve us. Service that is based in love gives no preference to position. It simply seeks to serve unconditionally. If you have ever been uncomfortable receiving from others, it may also be because of your fear of completely giving up your control. Think about it this way. When you give, you decide when to begin and when to stop. You decide how much to give and what to give. Yet when you receive, you're not in control of anything. Some people have a subconscious fear that they are not even aware of that prevents them from receiving because there is a fear of not being in control. This may be based on a previous experience or even a childhood wound that you don't realize even exists at this level. Consequently, this is one reason why some people have a hard time fully submitting to Jesus and acknowledging Him as their Lord and their Savior. Because in doing so, we all have to completely give up control and trust Him implicitly. Well, the third thing that Jesus' foot washing demonstrates is that we are commanded to love others, listen to this, even if they are against us. Jesus washed all the disciples' feet. 
even the feet of Judas, who was moments away from betraying Him. The reason why Jesus was able to do this is because His love, Jesus' love, was one-directional. Let me explain. When we are not grounded and founded in love, our service to others is like a round-trip ticket instead of a one-way ticket. In other words, there are times when we extend our love in the form of service to others, but whether we admit it or not, we expect something in return, like appreciation, recognition, respect, thanks, or some type of reciprocal action like a favor offered back to us. When you expect something back in your service to others, you are sending your love on a round trip so that you can receive something in return. And when we don't receive this reciprocity, we may have a tendency to be offended or to think, I'm not going to give again if my efforts are not appreciated or well-received. This is conditional love. It is not how God's love was or is intended. God does not love on a conditional basis. When He sends out His love, it is sent on a one-way ticket directly to our hearts. He knows that many of us have wounds and bad experiences and incomplete teachings that prevent us from fully receiving love. This is why He loves us so freely. In fact, Jesus even taught that we should love our enemies and pray for our enemies and bless those who spitefully use us and persecute us. Obviously, in these situations, we will not receive that kind of love in return. But the point is that our love goes out, not that we receive some kind of manipulated love in return. This is why Jesus said, you will not understand these things now, but after this, you will. My hope is that this message becomes your after this moment that you truly realize what Jesus has been trying to teach you about love and serving others and praying for others. You see, the act of foot washing was not so much about each of us being willing to wash one another's feet, but more so that we would be willing to allow others to wash our feet, to serve us, or to extend love to us that is one-directional from God's heart through willing people to us. When we understand the flow, we will pass this flow on to others and continue to love one another as Jesus, as Jesus loved us and continues to love us. John 13, verses 13 and 14. You call me teacher and Lord, and you say, well, for so I am. If I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. There are many people today literally afraid that they are not following Jesus' commands to wash one another's feet during this time of social distancing. Yet if you understand the context of what Jesus was teaching, you understand it centers around love-based serving and humbling yourself to give and to receive. John 13, verses 15 through 16. For I have given you an example that you should do as I have done to you. Most assuredly, I say to you, a servant is not greater than his master, nor is he 
who is sent greater than he who sent him. We all must check our pride on a daily basis. For our flesh continually attempts to pump itself up to keep us from becoming more like Jesus. Our pride and our fleshly thinking are inherent in all of us. This is the daily battle that we all go through on a variety of levels. The Bible says that we war with our members. This is our flesh fighting against our spirit for our very lives. The only way this battle can be won is through prayer and submitting ourselves to the teaching of God's Word. Each day we must choose to lay down our will and pick up God's will. Each day we must humble ourselves and submit to God. It is a conscious decision that we must make each day. Every one of us. But when we do make this choice, we can be assured that He will fight for us. John 13:17. If you know these things, blessed are you if you do them. Our blessing comes when we do what Jesus has commanded us. And so this day, we are reminded of this beautiful new command to love one another as He indeed has loved us. By this, by this the world will know whether or not we are truly following Jesus as our Lord and our Savior. The foot washing was an essential teaching of this holy day, but it did not end there. Jesus continued His teaching on love by instituting a new and everlasting covenant through the Lord's Supper, which we refer to as Holy Communion, or coming into a union with Jesus. First, it is essential to note that the Last Supper, as we often refer to it, was Jesus choosing to celebrate the Passover, uh, the Jewish feast of the Passover, with His disciples. Matthew 26, verse 17. Now on the first day of the Feast of the Unleavened Bread, the disciples came to Jesus saying to Him, Where do you want us to prepare for you to eat the Passover? Verse 18. And He said, Go into the city to a certain man and say to him, The teacher says, My time is at hand. I will keep the Passover at your house with My disciples. Jesus greatly desired to keep the Passover with His disciples before He was arrested and tried and crucified. But why? Was it only because it was an important Jewish tradition and a day of observance commanded by God? Or was there more to it? Again, if we understand His new commandment to love others as He loved them, then we see Jesus' insistence on keeping the Passover was not about tradition, as much as it was to share His new covenant as well, to demonstrate the meaning of His love in a practical sense that could be understood for generations to come. With that being said, how is the Passover related to what Jesus did and taught through the Last Supper? Well, God had commanded the Israelites to continually remember their miraculous exodus from Egypt. They would do this by retelling the Exodus and the Passover story over a meal with symbolic elements used to share this significant time in their history. It would be a lasting ordinance for all future generations to keep the Passover. It was the responsibility of righteous Jewish men to celebrate the Passover every year in Jerusalem. This was the impetus that caused Jesus to keep the Passover but He completed the Passover through His institution of a new covenant at this time. 
During this evening meal, Jesus used several symbolic symbols or items on the Passover table as prophetic signs of what he was about to undergo. This most personal teaching lesson would explain his true purpose for coming into the world. While there are many important items and analogies and components of a true Passover dinner, let us examine with the three essential items on the Passover table. The unleavened bread, the bitter herbs, and the wine. First, we will discuss the unleavened bread, also known as matzah. Deuteronomy 16, verse 3, gives us our basis for this, saying, You shall eat no leavened bread with it. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread with it, that is, the bread of affliction. For you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that you may remember the day in which you came out of the land of Egypt all the days of your life. You see, during Passover, God commanded the Israelites to eat only unleavened bread or bread without yeast for seven days straight. The point was to remind them of how they left Egypt in a hurry. Later generations nicknamed the matzah as both the bread of affliction, reminding them of their slavery, and also the bread of freedom, reminding them of their freedom after leaving Egypt in haste. This bread also signified sacred or holy bread, since yeast was often seen as a symbol of sin in the Old Testament and was therefore not in the bread that was regularly in the temple. Additionally, Jesus taught to be aware of the yeast of the Pharisees on different occasions. Interestingly, because matzah has no yeast, it also doesn't rise. And so it must be pierced all over to prevent it from burning. However, as it bakes, striped burn marks are often inevitable. This pierced and striped holy bread was a perfect symbol for what would be done to Jesus. Psalm 22, verse 16, prophesies, For dogs have surrounded me. The congregation of the wicked has enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. You see, the psalmist prophesies about the piercing that the Messiah would undergo. Additionally, Isaiah prophesied about the same in Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement for our peace was upon him, and by his stripes we are healed. Indeed, the sinless Messiah would be pierced and given stripes upon his back and body. At the Last Supper, Jesus held up the pierced, striped, and yeastless bread on the Passover table which symbolized affliction and freedom at the same time. And he compared it to his own body. Thus, these symbols would now take on new meaning. The disciples would understand it, would not understand it now, but after this, it would begin to make sense as they considered how Jesus demonstrated his love for them in the ultimate sacrifice for the world. And then Jesus broke the bread, and divided it among his disciples. Very soon he would be pierced and striped and broken. Luke 22, verse 19. And he took bread and gave thanks and broke it, and gave it to them, saying, This is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Jesus would give himself up to affliction, 
explaining to His disciples that His body was to be given for them. In other words, for their freedom. Well, the next element we consider is the bitter herbs or the maror. You see, God required the Jewish people to eat bitter herbs during their Passover meal. This would remind them of their bitter slavery in Egypt so they could rejoice even more with their freedom. During this part of the meal, Jesus told His disciples that one of them would betray Him. And then notice what He does next. John 13, 26. Jesus answered, It is He to whom I shall give a piece of bread when I have dipped it. And having dipped the bread, He gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. In case you have wondered why He dipped the bread, Understand that Jesus handed the matzah dipped in bitter herbs to Judas. Jesus understood that to purchase our freedom from slavery to sin, He would have to endure the bitterness of being wrongfully arrested, mocked and spat upon, beaten and then hung to die on a cross. In handing the bitter herbs to Judas and then releasing him from the meal, Jesus expressed His sadness and yet His complete willingness to experience excruciating pain and sorrow on our behalf. Well, next, the third element I want to talk about is the wine. After breaking the bread, Jesus picked up a cup of wine and proclaimed this cup to be the new covenant in His blood. Luke even shares that this is the cup that's offered after supper. In the oral teachings of various rabbis, including the contemporaries of Jesus, It is recorded that Jewish people are instructed to drink four different glasses of wine during the Passover in order to remember the four promises that God made to the Jewish people while they were still slaves. Exodus chapter 6, verses 6 and 7 tell us of these four promises. Therefore say to the children of Israel, I am the Lord. I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. I will rescue you from their bondage. And I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. I will take you as my people and I will be your God. Then you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brings you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians. See, two cups representing the first two promises, I will bring you out and I will free you, were commanded to be drunk before dinner. The third cup, representing the promise, I will redeem you, was to be drunk after dinner. This meant that the third cup came after eating the Passover lamb when consuming the broken matzah. Specifically, a certain broken piece of matzah that had been wrapped in a napkin and hidden away during the dinner, according to Jewish custom. This cup after supper, named the cup of redemption, symbolized the blood of the lamb that was placed on the door frames of the Israelites' houses while they were still enslaved in Egypt, and which signaled the angel of death to pass over their homes. This is where the name Passover comes from. When Jesus held up the cup after supper and said that from now on it would symbolize the new covenant in the blood, in His blood, He was foretelling His role as the new and perfect Lamb of God who would take away the sins of the world. 
just as the first lamb's blood would serve as a price to redeem the people of Israel from slavery and enable them to enter into a covenant with God at Mount Sinai, so too Jesus' blood would be the payment to redeem all mankind from slavery to sin and enable them to enter into a new covenant with God if they accepted His sacrifice by faith. Thus the Passover fulfillment truly demonstrated how God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son and that whoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. This was pure love in action and on display for all who would receive Him. Jesus still offers this invitation to receive the fulfillment of His love today. This is what we remember when we revisit the events of this day when we fully understand how He has loved us, then we can love others the way that God commands us all to do. It is this day that we are reminded of the new commandment and the new and everlasting covenant sealed by the precious blood of Jesus. Amen. Well, at this time...